Have you ever felt like there isn't enough time in the day? Or like you don't have time to take care of your well-being and build your dream? Or maybe you felt like it's impossible for you to go to work and still build that business that you envision at the same time. Well, so have we. And this is why we decided to make this podcast. This podcast is not just for PTs, OTs, MDs, or RNs. It's for everyone in healthcare. Our mission is to inspire you to make healthcare a better place and to build your business or brand through stories and real-life examples of some of the top leaders and entrepreneurs in healthcare. There's no better time than now. Welcome to Off the Clock, the Healthcare Entrepreneurs Podcast. Welcome to another edition of Off the Clock, the Healthcare Entrepreneurs Podcast. As always, guys, I'm your co-host, Mr. Carl Bourne Jr., and I'm joined by my main man, Mr. Paulo Ching. Paul, say what's up to the people. What it do, what it do, what it do. That's new. How you guys doing? <laughs> Paul is practicing not talking too much on the intro. I'm proud of you. Look, here's the thing. People <laughs> keep go. complaining that apparently I talk too much at the start of the episode. I'm just trying to catch y'all up, but since that's a problem... I'm just going to keep it to hello. That's what y'all get now. All right. So without further ado, on this episode, we have another special guest on. We just keep on getting lucky with, with these amazing people really? who are able to bring the podcast. But Honestly. Without further ado, we have the phenomenal Miss Tavana Denise on the episode with us. How are you today? Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I am fantastic. All things considered, right? Yes, this is a very good point, but we appreciate you for making the time. So let's just dive into it. Please tell us, why physical therapy? Oh gosh, why physical therapy? Well, I started out wanting to be a doctor, a medical doctor, and I had some health challenges as a child and I experienced being in the waiting room of the doctor's office for what seemed like forever, maybe 45 minutes, being in the little exam room for maybe another 15, 20 minutes, they would come in, do a quick exam, tell me to get my clothes on, go to the office, and they would write a prescription and send me on my way. They had no idea if I took the prescription, did it work, did I have any side effects, anything. So I was like, hmm. I don't know if this is what I want to do, but I don't know what else I can do because I love helping people. I love medicine. At one point in time, I was into computers and was into programming and won the Junior Olympics for the NAACP AXO. And so, but there were no people. And I was like, I love people. I want to be around people. So I was in high school. I saw a video of a woman doing physical therapy with some kids. And I was like, that seems pretty cool. It's still kind of in the medical field and I get to help people. And then I did my observation hours, which was really cool because at that particular clinic, the person that I was shadowing, he worked in the clinic and then he would leave and see a few patients in home health afterwards. So I got to go with them. And that's when I fell in love with physical therapy because we got to see this little old German lady drive down the street for the first time after breaking a hip and doing rehab with us. And I was like, that's what I want to do. First of all, I love that story simply because I kind of was the same way when I started. I wanted to be an MD and I found out very quickly I hated genetics and I was not built for that. 
And so after that realization, life took many, many unnecessary turns. So I just love hearing that. And, you know, for me with like PT, it's almost like there's just something special, right? About seeing like what's supposed to be impossible suddenly become possible and like the realizations of it. Even just this morning, like I woke up with like some terrible, horrible back pain. And um, I got on a call with my PT girlfriend and she like had me doing a few things. And I was just like, it's, it's amazing how like, within a matter of like 20 minutes, this life excruciating pain is suddenly gone. And I think for many people, listeners, aspiring PTs, uh, current PTs, post PT career, you know, it's the big thank you has to go out to all of you um, simply because what you do matters so much. And uh, on the other side of it, I don't even think like y'all get enough shine. I don't think we get enough shine, but I don't think y'all get enough shine simply because like y'all get in there and just get it done. And so just, I want to start off, and I guess this is me rambling at the start of the episode, but I just want to start off by saying thank you for sharing I that. I received that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So um, let me ask you this question, and I'm going to jump right into, right after like realizing physical therapy was for you and re- like having that, you know, epiphany. Did did you immediately like then jump in and say like 100%, like this is where it's oh, going or 100%. what happened? That's, I was like 100%. I'll get back. I have at this point been doing this 18 years and I just turned 40. So I've been doing this a long time. I went straight in. What version of physical therapy did you see yourself practicing long term? Oh, <laughs> this is a, uh, funny and not funny because I played a lot of sports mm-hmm. when I was growing up. And I used to tell my mom, my mom got excited because she was like, ooh, all the baby, all us baby boomers are going to need physical therapy. So that is what you want to be in. And I was like, mom, I don't do old people. I'm going into sports, you know, and I for a time did student athletics after school programs and things like that. So I really thought I was going to be an orthopedic manual outpatient therapist. That's what I thought until my thumbs gave out on me. And I got tired of the the endless treadmill of patients and not being able to drink water or go to the bathroom or it always looking at my watch. When I came out of orthopedics, I, I didn't wear a watch for 10 years because I was like, I don't ever want to be beholden to the clock like that again. Dang. Wow. That that's incredible to to wow. <laughs> oh, sorry. Y'all are student PTs. I don't want to be like <laughs> No, 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 no. Speak your truth. Speak your truth. <laughs> You're, you're, you're good. You're good. Because I find this is a common trend that I actually see where we come into school and as PTs, the, the golden ticket or what looks like the best option is typically ortho. I came into school and I was like, oh, ortho, sports, that's me right there. You know, and I'm about to I'm about to start my my second year in a few weeks. And it's funny because now that I've had a, like a full year of school under my belt, I've come to appreciate ortho, but I've also come to appreciate other aspects of PT down to the point where even for me, I'm looking at neuro. Like I've really developed like a love for neuro. And I think part of that is also because on a more personal level, like my grandfather has Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. So because of that, it was something where I knew coming into the semester where I was going to learn about neuromuscular, I knew that was something I was going to take 100% serious. And my professor, he is wonderful. He's going to be our professor for neuro two and three as well. 
but you know you just kind of get to experience other aspects of pt and it makes you realize like you can't come into school just with this tunnel vision and this closed mind like nope this is what i want to do strictly so i love how how your story branched off from that because i find a lot of people and a lot of spts and and pts they automatically think at first ortho so i think it's unique how you were able to branch away from that because I think that also gives a glimpse into how you were able to become a successful entrepreneur because you're open-minded. Mm. Being open-minded is one of those first steps that allows you to kind of turn that switch to say, okay, now I want to kind of take control of, of my future. With that being said, let me ask you. So you made the shift. Once you made the shift, when did it get to the point where it was like, okay, you know, I think maybe I should do my own thing. Like, I think I'm ready. Yeah. It it wasn't even, I think I'm ready. It was, there's no choice because you can't tell me what to do. I was on the managerial track and I had become the assistant clinic director at a big clinic that was headed by a group director. So he was over four or five clinics. And so I was basically running the whole thing because he was never there. And then when he left, I thought, okay, well, I'll get moved up to be the clinic director because I've been doing the job anyway, but they moved somebody in from a smaller clinic. I'm like, cool. Looked at his numbers. I'm like, he deserves it. Okay, cool. But then they denied me PTO, which I had plenty of to go to my brother's graduation from NYU. And I was like, "Mm -mm, you can't tell me what to do. So now I'm going to give you 30 days notice and I'm leaving. And in that 30 days, I figured out how to start a contracting company. And that is how, that was my first soiree into, I called it real entrepreneurship because I had my first network marketing company before I got, had my PT license. Like, I think I always knew that I wasn't going to work for somebody else for the rest of my life, but it took me several tries to figure out what was my thing right? It wasn't network marketing. That didn't feel right. If you're familiar with Robert Kiyosaki, Cash Flow Quadrant or Rich Dad Poor Dad, when I did the contract, I was basically a PT for hire. I would go in like a substitute teacher and just contract myself out and I just own the job. And that after a while got to a place where I was like, okay, this is cool, but I need to do something else. We know that you've worked in almost every setting except academia and pediatrics. Why is that? I'm going to blame my mom on that one. I think when I was a kid, she's a teacher. And when I was a kid, every summer, we had to leave the house. We had to go to some summer school program. And she wanted to make sure that we had been exposed to as many things as possible. So I went to a performing arts school. I went to a science and tech school. Every summer, I was at somebody's computer or math or engineering or whatever kind of camp. And so we just got used to trying different things until we figured out what we wanted to do. She would never say you can't, you, you can't say you don't like something if you haven't tried it. So I took that mentality when I went into contract work. And I actually think that was a good thing because it allowed me to sample various settings and various organizations without being 
chained to them, sort so to speak. And without this feeling of if I only stayed there for uh, 13 weeks, 16 weeks contract or something like that, and then I go into the next place, it doesn't look bad on my resume because I'm still working for one company, which is my company. And then I just have experience in all these different settings, which allowed me to really sample and see what I liked see what job would my personality, not just the setting, because I found my favorite setting, but then you can also check, check out different organizations, kind of like dating organizations without there being any kind of messiness if you break up. Because the fact of the matter is, I'm glad that I didn't just tell them, forget you, I quit. I gave the customary 30 days notice and used that time to build my company because I ended up going back to those companies the same ones that I had worked for before because I hadn't burned the bridges and made more money doing the same thing I was already doing. It was great. First of all, that's genius simply because I think like, and I like that analogy where you said like dating the various ones because you did something that I, I seem to see this continual pattern with PTs where it's like, you get burnt out, you hate it. Why did I get into this? It was too much, you know, debt and they're not doing anything about it. Right. And early you said like there was no choice brackets to start a business because one, they couldn't tell you what to do. And then you also realize you always knew you were going to do your own thing. So how then did those experiences build you as like an entrepreneur and a business owner? Well, I think you, or at least I got to a point where owning the job was cool, making more money, doing the same thing was cool. Making my own schedule was cool, but I had a couple of injuries at work. I tore my rotator cuff. I hurt my back, was out for six months. And I realized that physically, because I ended up in the uh, acute care setting in the hospitals, which I absolutely love, never thought I would have loved it, but that's where I ended up. And you got to be in good physical condition to do that all day, every day. And I got to a place where I was like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm not even 40 years old yet. And I got 20, 25 years at a minimum to keep working. And I don't think physically... I'm going to be able to do this anymore. I had gotten past the point of the mental, like mentally, I'm not going to be able to do this anymore because that was a phase in my career too. And I think what happens is there is this burnout period where in the beginning, if you don't learn how to manage your mind, you don't learn how to speak up for yourself. If you don't learn how to find a job, an organization, a position that matches your priorities and values, you will get burned out, right? And if you get past that part where you you find that balance of how much work, how much rest, all of those things, you're in the right setting, which I had found myself in. I had enough control. I had enough autonomy, enough control, enough money, all of those things. And then physically I broke down. But if you don't find that, then you break down mentally. And if you get past that place, so that's the burnout. And then I find that people get past that place and they get to this point of boredom where at that point when I really doubled down and got to the place where I'm like I definitely can't do this for the rest of my life it was not because I was running away from being a physical therapist anymore it was that I was running towards my destiny like I know I'm supposed to be doing more than just treating patients and I see that a lot with the clients that I work with they get to this space of around 15 to 20 years in the game sometimes 12 and they're like I'm really at the top of my game. I get paid well. I know exactly what to do. I'm amazing at physical therapy, but there has to be more than just getting up, going to work, treating patients, come home. Wow. 
I love that that little bridge that you had there from burnout to boredom because that's something that I think that a lot of physical therapists shy away from that topic and from having that conversation. And I think that we have to be more realistic when it comes to, you know, burnout, because it does happen. Even in school, you can feel burned out from studying all the time and, you know, having to worry about this practical and this exam and and stuff like that. And I think that it's good for student physical therapists to be able to understand, like, once you get out of school, like, you still can face burnout. Yeah, you're going to have your thrill of like, oh, my gosh, I, I just passed my boards. I'm licensed now. I'm treating people. But it does get to that point where you can feel that burnout. So for you, once you made that transition from burnout to boredom, do you think it was something where it was like an epiphany? Suddenly, I know I can do more than this. Or do you feel like it was kind of a combination of everything that was going on that forced you to have to go into that direction? I think it was a combination of everything. Like, I think even when I got out of school, I knew there was something more for me than just a job. But I had to go through those other experiences, right? So there was the burnout and then I got my mind straight (laughs) and then there was the boredom and then there was this space of a time where I was working on my coaching business and it was all about the hustle and it was all about the money. And I burned out from that as well because I was doing it for the wrong reasons. At that particular time, it was all about hustle money. I got to get away from this. I don't want to do this anymore. The nine, you know, screw the nine to five, four hour work week life. And that is what burned me out because I was, my intentions were wrong. I was doing it for the wrong reasons. Also, I think there was a very divine intervention and reason why I could never really fully exit healthcare because after I took a hiatus, like I was like, I'm tapped out. I guess I'm going to have to do figure out how to limp through these next 20 years doing physical therapy, right? I had this moment of noticing the newer grads coming out and being burned out. When I say fried, they would grab me and put me in the nourishment room, crying tears and all of these things. And I'm like, what is wrong? What is happening? You're like fresh off the boat. I don't understand why y'all are burned out. I mean, I get, I kind of get why the people that have been in the game a long time, like I have, but I don't understand why you are. And I feel like I was meant to stay in patient care at least long enough to see that happen so that I knew what I was supposed to do. And with all of the experience I had in healthcare and with my experience as a life coach and with my experience of getting myself past the burnout, and that's how I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be doing this work for my people. So that's how I got to that space. I love that. So when you talk about being able to do do your work for your people and staying in that space, you know, a little bit longer. So for me, that also shows, you know, just how altruistic you are because you could have easily been like, all right, peace. That's y'all's problem. You know, I'm out of here. But you you decided to stay. I think that that kind of leads me into something else that I want to ask you about. So for that, when, when, when I hear you say that, it makes me think a lot of, of mentorship. 
And with that being said, I think mentorship is a big part of being an entrepreneur, being a successful entrepreneur, but also just being successful professionally as well. For you, how do you think you were able to make that transition into, okay, I'm mentoring, now I think I want to coach. And once you made that transition into coaching, how were you able to keep that balance? You talked about you were getting burnt out because you were doing it for the wrong reason. So how were you able to find that balance to where you were doing the coaching and it felt like, okay, everything is aligned now? There was no balance. There was a break. So there I'd started my coaching practice. I was grinding and all of those things. And my mom needed a knee replacement. So I actually took a complete break from everything. I didn't work. I didn't continue building my business at that time. And I went back to the DC area to work with her during her prehab and her post knee replacement. And so I was home and there was a complete six month break, nothing, no work, nothing, just taking care of her. Then I came back to the Atlanta area and there was just, I did what I knew to do, which was PRN and contract work. So that's all I did for a good year and a half. And then something in me awakened again, like, no, I, I love coaching. I love helping people. I have to do this. And at that point for me, it was like, okay, if you're going to do this, you need to be serious. You need to be consistent. You need to do it for the right reasons. And I told everybody from that point on, when I realized it was my mission to save as many PTs as I could from burnout, boredom, and glass ceilings, that I was going to figure out how to do this. And it was also at that point prior to that, because I have to back up, I made some, what I would consider costly business investments in a previous time. And so it made me very afraid to invest heavily again in myself beyond courses. Like I'll take a course any day, doesn't matter, five, couple thousand actually. But when it came to doing that deep work and working with somebody over a long period of time, I wouldn't do it. And I got to this point where I'm like, no, I want to help more people and I need to figure out how to get in front of more people. And I need the coaching and I need the accountability and at that point, I, it was no longer an option for me to try to do it myself or do it with self-led courses. I needed somebody to really make sure. I needed to, like, this is not optional anymore. And at that point, I invested again with my coach and like everything changed because I think who I was and how I showed up to the process changed. It was, again, I think the, the big theme for me was that it was no longer optional. When it's optional in our minds, then maybe we do it, maybe we take a nap. Maybe we do it, maybe we watch Netflix. But when I had put that money down and I was like, oh, we're going to make this happen because there's no way my PT salary can pay for this. That's when I made 10 times the investment, like within 30 days. Not to make it seem like it was an overnight success, because believe me, I had been working on business in the background for over a decade. But that's when it was something about that energetic exchange that made me really step up. Oh, my goodness. I know there's definitely some listeners who have been struggling with that. And that led like directly, it's a divine intervention, that led directly into what I actually wanted to ask you Um but first, like for the listener that's been wondering about what it takes to even get to that point where you're willing to invest in yourself, right? I think a lot of people struggle with recognizing opportunity 
when it comes to like, like we can be like, oh yeah, you know, that person should have done this and that. And, you know, that person should have, but when it comes to like actually recognizing what it is that we should have done, right? We like to teach a little bit. So teachers, how can uh, a young entrepreneur or novice, a rookie entrepreneur, recognize opportunity and when it's time to like actually take that leap to invest in themselves? Because my personal mentor told me like, you know, the smart people just find a way to collapse time and go find people that have done it and then get that going. Teaches how somebody can actually recognize when opportunities afford them and then to take action. Well, I think it kind of comes down to, do you know your why? Do you know why you want to do this? And if it's too shallow and quite frankly, if it doesn't scare you or make you like tear up a little bit, your why is not strong enough because this stuff is not easy. You know, and I think one of my mentors once said, you are going to pay. Like those people that think they're doing it themselves and they're just going to watch all the free webinars and do barter system and all of those things, understand that you get what you pay for, first of all. And you are going to pay, whether it be in time or money. So then you decide which one you want to invest. Like you can do it. I know, I know some people that did the DIY version and took forever. Or you can say, hey, this person has already gone down that path and they can say, don't step right there as a pothole. And so I think it's a personal choice, but just understand what you're doing and own your decision. And then also don't put it all in the hands of yes, because this person walked down this road before they can't drag you down the road. They can't do the work for you. I made a mistake when I invested my in my thinking, a mistake in my thinking. When I invested in my first big mentor thinking, okay, they had walked down the road. They gave me everything down to, I bought, I had his laptop with all the everything in it but I didn't have some of his knowledge. I didn't have some of his experience. I didn't have some of his skills to be able to successfully execute on the strategy that was given to me. And so in my mind, I blamed him, but it was really on me, right? So today, now that I have more skill, more reps, I'm almost doing the same. I'm executing on that strategy just way longer or way later than I thought I would. I made the same mistake where I thought that basically my mentor was just going to hold my hand and tell me everything to do and I just do it. And I think for a lot of like people that are aspiring to be entrepreneurs and, and they want to, especially in healthcare, like a lot of it comes down with every single scenario is different. And I think many of us tend to confuse the fact that it's going to be this cookie cutter recipe for every single thing. Like there's a, I think there's an overall like map you can follow when it comes to just developing what works for you. I think that's why people needed to hear that simply because you are successful. But at the same time, like one, it didn't happen overnight. That's key. Carl and I are in our third podcast. Like that's key. We didn't get to this point where we're comfortable and joking around and just not caring anymore. You know, tell you a big difference. And the other thing, like I think people definitely need to take away from that as well is just what's for you is for you, but you still got to get out there and get it and put in the reps and put in the time and put in just the sacrifice. Like, that self-discipline. Let's talk about self-discipline a little bit. Because I still think, you know, and it's, it's crazy not to out anybody that I'm in a group with, but there are people that are in a mastermind with me who are still in the same spot they were a year ago due to a lack of self-discipline. I think that's something we often forget. So when it came to you mastering, I mean, obviously you've done years of getting down to the point where you're like you knew what was expected of you. But overall, like, what did it even take to develop that level of self-discipline and being able to sacrifice so you can actually have what you wanted to have? 
I came up with this concept because I saw exactly what you were talking about with your friend in the mastermind. And I couldn't figure out what was happening, what had happened to me and what was happening to my clients where they have all the brains, they have done all the things, they got the shiny website and all of the click funnels and all of whatever set up in the back end, but they got no clients. And I was like, what is happening to these people? And so the way I explain it is there's some discomfort, right? That causes us to want more in our life. In my case, when they told me I couldn't go to my brother's graduation, that was very uncomfortable. And so I made the commitment. So there's a discomfort that causes us to want to be, do, or have more. And then we make a commitment to actually do the change, to actually make the change that we need to. The problem is what happens between we're uncomfortable and we make a commitment. It's like, as soon as we actually commit, it's one thing to say, oh, I'm uncomfortable here. And then it's another to say, okay, I'm for real going to do something about it and tell people. And that's when what I call the freak out occurs, because that's when all of the mind garbage happens where you're like, I don't know if I can do it. It's going to cost too much, too much. I might fail. I might succeed. So-and-so is going to say something about me. Anything could happen in there. It's like your brain is just trying to keep safe. But what we have to invoke at that point is a little bit of courage, right? The courage to take the first step. The problem with that though is courage is like willpower to me. They're both depletable resources and they're not going to help you have that self-discipline to be consistent because after the courage to take the first step, you got to keep stepping. You got to be consistent, right? And then what happens is after, when you're consistent over time, then you're clear, there's clarity and confidence that comes with that consistency. You're clear about what to do and you're pretty confident in how to do it. And from there we get confidence. But the problem with a lot of people is they want the confidence before they, they're willing to put up some of the courage to be consistent, to figure out what to do and how. And so that's what I understand happens. Yes, it's self-discipline, but really it's understanding what's going on in your head that keeps you from, keep, from taking the steps forward. And so that's one of the things that I help people with because it's one thing, like you said, the, the mentor can tell you all the steps, but you actually got to take the steps. I just feel like she gave us a coaching session right there yeah I, yeah that <laughs> i was in here taking notes i was like dang okay. you got that done all right cool we're good. <laughs> no but but well, the, it go, the, the, the rabbit hole goes deeper than that but i was like oh, let yeah. me just stop right here and no, let y'all de- digest that for a sec for the rest no, you gotta no, join the program right. that, that's all right <laughs> let's go so let's let's dive into that a little bit more as an entrepreneur it is inevitable that you're going to get to that point where you feel that fear. Like you said, that courage to take the first step, it's not really there. And I think that also is kind of combined with having suffering from a little bit of imposter syndrome. So in your journey, once you got to a point where you started seeing success, talk to us a little bit about how you were able to keep that momentum even though you still had your bouts where you had fear and you had your imposter syndrome. Cause I know you say consistency and like, yeah, like that, that's important. Absolutely. But what are some other practical steps that you took and what are some other practical steps that you would give to young entrepreneurs that are trying to figure out how to break through that barrier? I would give two. One, don't try to do this by yourself. 
I'm not saying that you have to hire me or any coach in particular, but don't try to do it by yourself because the fear will grip you something terrible and you'll be in the corner thinking, oh, I'm just tired from work or I'm just tired from school when no, it's the fear has got you. And you got to have people that you're accountable to that know your dreams, that know that you're bigger than you know, bigger than this, meant for more than this, that will say, hey, come, okay, it's like a workout buddy. When I don't feel like doing press and play on, now that we all got to work out in our houses or whatever, when I don't feel like press and play, I get a text from my friend, she already did hers. I'm like, oh, now I got to do mine, right? So just have somebody that you're accountable to, that knows, right? The other thing is keep your why and your dreams in front of you. We're so used to being past focused that we want to go back and look at who we were instead of focusing on who we want to become and what we want to have, right? And so then the third thing, which here we go down the rabbit hole again, but it's necessary. I know we are very action-oriented people. We are physical therapists. So it's all about action and movement. The biggest thing that took me from zero to 55K in about eight months was heavy work on my mindset. And what I mean by that, and I use this very specific tool that I'm also going to teach you, no charge, (laughs) called the thought model. And what it says is that in our lives, we have circumstances or situations. These are facts meaning that it can be proven by science in a court of law. If you were to line up 100 people, they would say the same sentence about that thing, right? If, so then you have the circumstance or the situation, then we have our thoughts about the circumstance or situation. So right now we can talk about coronavirus. That is a circumstance. It's a fact. Then we have thoughts about that circumstance. Those thoughts cause us to feel a certain way. And based on how we feel, a one-word emotion, happy, sad, angry, glad, frustrated, okay? Based on how we feel, then we take certain actions or inactions, right? Remember I said we're sitting on the couch watching Netflix instead of building our business. So either we take certain actions or we don't act. And those actions or inaction over time causes us to have the results that we have in our lives. This is good news because... That means that if the thought, aka an opinion, because a hundred different people that you lined up wouldn't say the same thing, that means it's an opinion and opinions can be changed. And if it's something that can be changed, then all that has to happen is our thoughts, our opinion about the situation or the circumstance changes. The circumstance doesn't have to change for us to feel better. Our thoughts do. And then if we feel better, we do better. And if we do better over time, then we get better results. And so that's how I kind of shortcut or circumvent this need for willpower and discipline and stuff like that. Because what I'll do is, let's say, for example, I had a client one time that she wanted to do consulting. She was amazing. Been doing this, speaking all over the town, all over the world, actually, not all over the town, all over the world. And she had a thought about building her consulting business that people don't want to hear this information. And so when she had that thought, they don't want to hear this information, she felt uncertain. And when she felt uncertain, then what she did with regard to her business was actually do nothing. And when you do nothing over time, then the result of that is 
people don't get to hear the information which proved her original thought true. The problem with that was it wasn't true. Her thought that people don't want to hear this information was simply not true because I just told you she was already speaking all over the world. You don't get out of your backyard people flying you across the world to go speak if they don't want to hear your information. So once we could get her to see that that thought was actually leading to the result of no consulting business, then we can do the work of changing it. I'm just kind of reflecting over what you just said. I just wrote it down and I'm just going through like, wow, we put ourselves in this like continual cycle. Oh, 100%. Um, <laughs> okay. So now here, here's, and I think maybe this could come with like understanding why we treat ourselves the way we treat ourselves. I asked you simply like, I think it's something I do once in a while where I almost continually try and give myself excuses for not being out there or doing stuff at like a grander level, right? Earlier you said that like, if what you're working at doesn't scare you, it's not your why. So my question then becomes, how can... Well, let me just clarify for a second. It it can be a why, but uh, it may not be a big enough why big enough to why. keep you moving. Because especially when I'm in consultation with healthcare providers, helpers, givers, right. compassionate human beings, and I say, well, why do you want to build this business? And they say, well, I want to help people. Or I want to get my husband out of his job or give him options. I'm like, boo, this takes way too much work and too much, you got to overcome too much of your own BS for it to be about other people in mm -hmm. that, just like that. It has to be bigger. It has to really move you quite literally. Well, let me switch my question then. How does somebody identify that? Or what, what steps, what are the leading steps to identifying the big enough why? Just asking yourself, why? Why do you want that? And they call it the five whys. So you can just ask yourself, why do you want something? And you'll give yourself a surface answer. And then mm -hmm. you ask yourself, well, why do you want that? Or why is that important? And you'll give yourself the next layer. And then you ask yourself again until you get to the fifth why. I have so many questions just like running in my mind. And I'm trying to Go for it. categorize them so I don't like take us down this rabbit hole. We're here for like five hours. I want to go back to when you said your circumstance leads like with your thoughts and your circumstance, right? What are some mental practices somebody has to start practicing? And I only ask this simply because I'm building a funnel lot right now for challenge we're doing for our business, right? I told my business partner, I have a number that I want like specific out of this funnel. And I wrote it. I'm not going to tell her until like the end of the year. But if we hit it, we hit it. And there's moments where I'll literally be laying in bed and I'm just waking up like, this doesn't seem like it's not a problem not being achievable. It just seems like I'm limiting myself. Say that again or differently it, it because I think like, you were about to give me the thought. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. I feel like I'm limiting myself with the number I wrote, right? Meaning so it's not big enough? Not or? big enough. Exactly. Okay. And how do but you feel like, when you think that it's not big enough? Like what one word emotion? The one word emotion? Mm -hmm. Disappointed. Okay. And when you feel disappointed, what are you doing? with regard to your business and achieving that number? Go to my board usually, and I'll start to write out ways for us to grow what we're trying to get done. I think part of it is because like, I tried to not do the whole, how many people would it take to hit this? And more like, how many people can we serve? Mm -hmm. So one of the ways in that particular instance, so it doesn't have to be like your number itself is not big enough. 
because you can take whatever your your number is that you currently have and put it in the R line, the result. The result mm -hmm. you want to create is X dollar amount, mm -hmm. right? And then run the model. You need to figure out what thought you need to think to make you feel not disappointed because I can guarantee you disappointment doesn't lead to that number, right? Because most of the time when people are disappointed, they're going to make excuses like you said. Yeah. Right. So this is not big enough, disappointed, make excuses or go to the board and work numbers out instead of actually doing things that would lead to getting the number. And then the result is you don't get the number. So a way to work around it is put the, the result that you want to create that dollar amount mm -hmm. in the R line, in the results line, and then you've got to work backwards. Okay. So what do you need to do to hit that number? And then not just what you need to do, because you already do that. You go to the board and you work out, then what do we need to do? Right. But then what do you need to feel to take that action to get that result that you wanted? Disappointment is not it. So what would it be in this case? Continual excitement. I think like a fire. Are you looking for one word? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes. an emotion is we, one word. Are we all doing one big coaching session? Okay. Yeah, he's got a PayPal you at this. Yeah, I got it. You got to send me the the, the invoice. <laughs> I think the word I'd look for then is just like, I don't want to say purpose because that feels cliche. Right. Okay. But is it committed, of, uh, motivated, determined, excited? Determined. Determined. You know, like okay. Once I say yes, yeah, like, all right, we're going to get this done. Determined. Okay. Yeah. And then what might you need to be thinking to feel determined? <sighs> I think you might have said it, but I'll give you a... Well, yeah, I mean, like part of it is just like needing to get it done. I, I'm well, maybe not needing to, but you know, like you're, I'm, going you're good. To, yeah. I'm going to get I'm this going done. to get it done. Right. I'm going to get this done. And then you feel determined and then you do what you need to do. And then the result is whatever number you wrote down. So in this instant, it's a baby thought, right? Is you just did it. It's like your one rep max is I'm going to get this done. And you feel determined in this moment. And then I go away and Netflix is calling your name. So you, you have to keep that thought that felt good in this moment in front of you. Like I'm going to get this done. And you want to keep using that to get that feeling of determination so that you take, keep taking the actions that you need to take to get to your number. That's where self-discipline comes without it being forced by willpower. If that makes sense. That makes complete sense. I want to ask you a question. Mm -hmm. So what does ownership mean to you and why do you think it's important? Ownership in what sense? Ownership in terms of, of your business, in terms of your entrepreneurial journey. Well, I think ownership and responsibility kind of are synonymous. And the definition that I have for responsible or responsibility is able to respond. So if I take ownership of everything that happens in my life and in my business, then and I'm responsible for it, then I have the power to make a change. If I don't take ownership over what I'm doing or not doing in my business or what's happening or not happening, because a lot of times people will say it, insert tactic or strategy or marketing strategy or business model or whatever, it's not working usually means they're not working. So if I can take ownership over everything, then I have the power to change it, to make it different 
And that's the best possible place to be in because nobody can do anything to me. Coronavirus can come and I still take ownership and I still take responsibility for my business and how I serve my clients and showing up. I love that. So let's backtrack just a little bit. Well, Paul talked a lot, so it might not be a little bit. Let's backtrack to when you were talking about mindset. How would you advise entrepreneurs like right now for an entrepreneur that's listening to this? They could be a novice rookie. They could be in the game for a little bit and maybe they're just stuck. How would you advise them mentally every day to be able to prepare themselves to win that battle? Because I think it's an everyday thing that you have to be able to get past. Just like bathing. Every day you got to do it. Otherwise, something's going to start to stink around here. So that is simple. A very simple exercise that anyone can do on a daily basis is what I call a thought download. So it just simply means, just like I took Paul through, I talked him through it, his thoughts about achieving his goal, but you can do the same thing at home, just a regular sheet of paper or a notebook and whatever your goal is, you can just write down your thoughts about it. what do you think about this particular goal? Oh, it's going to be too hard. I don't have enough skills. I'm too old. I'm too young. I don't know the tech, blah, 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 blah. Whatever comes out of your brain without judgment without filtering, without changing it, just write it down and have a look at it. Because when you can look at it, you give just enough separation where you can challenge it or change it or decide, is this useful? Is this helpful? Kind of like the junk drawer that everybody has, where you can just pull it out and have a look-see, look in all there and pull all of the things out. And you just look at him like, mm, I don't even need that anymore. Oh, that's trash. Oh, that's last year's news, right? So you just look at the thoughts that are running around in your mind, the opinions that are running around in your mind and decide, are they useful? Are they still helpful? Do I want to change them? And if, and really just, if remember what I said about if 100 people wouldn't say that exact same sentence about what you wrote on the paper, then it's an opinion. Even if you don't want to believe it is, it is, which means it can be changed, but it might take some work. And then that's where you might need to reach out. I love it. So before we let you go, please, because I feel like we didn't, we didn't really get into this too much, but Tell us, what do you do? What is everything that you do for anyone who's listening and they want to work with you or, or they're interested in, in reaching out to you? What would be some of the things, you know, besides the, the coaching and consulting that we've kind of talked about, or even if you want to dive into that a little bit more, like, tell us about that. I am a life and business coach for women in healthcare who have hit that point where they just want more. Maybe they are at a place where they are at the peak. They've maxed out with what they can do in their careers or they're wanting to add something to it. So I tend to work more with people who want to take to leverage their education and expertise to build something else on the side. Um, most of the people tend to make it their main hustle after a while. My approach to things, as you can see, is very different because we're going to take all of the basics of business. I absolutely want to make sure that my people understand the foundations of business. But within all of those foundations, we're going to look at how you think about the specific pieces of business, how you think about your business model, your prices, your clients, marketing in general, so that when I know what you're thinking about it, kind of like what we did with Paul, if I know that you're thinking your goal or your prices, let's say, is too low, then 
I know how to help you achieve different or better results. So that's the, that's the work that we do. And we do it in a program that I call the courage circle, because you can't have confidence without courage first. And sometimes you just need people to do it with. Perfect. So before we let you go, I promise this is the last thing (laughs) for anyone listening and they want to get in touch with you. What are, what are your social media handles, email, anything that you're willing to give out for them to reach you? Oh, yeah. Well, I can be found everywhere on the web at Tavana Denise, and I'm at TavanaDenise.com. And on Facebook, we have the Thrive Network for Women in Healthcare. So that's where I'm in there hanging out, chatting with people. And we just really love on and support one another because it's hard by yourself. And so I wanted to create a space for women who are doing things differently that don't necessarily want a traditional clinic or run a big operation that want to create a lifestyle business. So that's what we're doing over there. Oh, man. Ms. Tavana, thank you so much. This was phenomenal. I know Paul is going to get off of here and be trying to figure out, you know, yeah. what he needs to do. And you know, like contemplating life. hopefully in a good way no in a good way i'm realizing like there's some things that are masking themselves like as fear but that's not for now i gotta join the program anyway (laughs) thank you so much (laughs) for coming on to the episode yeah thank you so much for having me this was fun i didn't know which way we were gonna go but i loved it good well thank you again we really you know appreciate it like Seriously, we we understand you're busy. You know, you have other things you could be doing right now. So it means a lot. And we look forward to continuing this relationship. And it just, it was really was a pleasure. So we appreciate you. Guys, there you have it. Mr. Vaughn and Denise just brought some beautiful gems for you to be able to take away from this episode. So as usual, thank you. We appreciate y'all for listening. If you love the episode, like, subscribe, share, DM us, whatever the case may be. DM her. Well, I don't know if you could DM her. She might not answer. She's too busy. But uh, <laughs> but seriously, we appreciate y'all. Thank you for tuning in. We will catch you guys next time. Peace. Peace. Thank you for listening to another episode of Off the Clock. This episode was brought to you by The Accepted System. The Accepted System is a program that helps pre-physical therapy students get into physical therapy school without wasting time or money. This episode was also brought to you by PhysioMemes. PhysioMemes helps PT businesses to increase their referrals through word-of-mouth marketing by growing their brand with an online store. PhysioMemes. This episode was also brought to you by the Acceptance Navigator series. Most pre-PT students go on to spend hundreds of dollars applying to multiple DPT programs, with the majority of them having less than 40% confidence that they will actually get accepted that cycle. You have been taught that regardless of all the work you put into applying, you really don't have much control over your acceptance into PT school. The truth is, you actually do. Let the Acceptance Navigator series show you how. You can find them at www.acceptancenavigator.com. When you go on there, make sure to let them know that Paul and Carl sent you over to jumpstart your acceptance into physical therapy school. Thank you for listening and keep tuning in.